0: So join me in Luke 17 if you would. I appreciate Mervyn for reading this text a minute ago and for these guys who are leading us in worship and consistently with our theme this, this day, this week, about being grateful being thankful. And we are, I think you would agree with this, we are a distracted people. We're a busy people. One of the things that comes along with that with that kind of the busyness, I guess, and the distractedness of our, it's the way that we do life, it seems, these days, is we don't take time, many of us don't, I guess, we don't take time to thank God, truly to thank God. We, we, can, we can get in ruts, you know, we can get in these spiritual ruts where we, 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 we go through the, the form. You probably say thanks, give thanks before your meals. I think probably most of you do. But even that can become just something you do, right? It can, it can become just just words. It's almost like a rote kind of formula that, that we say, thank you, God, for this, 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 and this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And, you know, you're not really, really thanking. It's, it's being thankful, being grateful is intentional, and it takes effort, and it takes, it takes focus. Now our text here is pretty interesting. You've read this before, maybe. This uh, Jesus is is going. Actually, he's kind of going on a horizontal axis here. When it says in verses, in, starting in verse eleven of Luke seventeen, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and that border is a horizontal border. And so he's traveling east to west. Apparently, he's on the border between. Um, this area of Samaria, we've we've talked about this before. This area of Samaria that was was kind of this area that was ostracized by many of the Jewish people because of racial conflict and religious conflict. And anyway, he's he's passing along this this border, and then he comes in contact with these ten lepers. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard about the lepers before. The leprosy that was a a plague of the ancient world, and still affects people to this day, a kind of leprosy. Leprosy in the Bible is talked about in Leviticus 14. If you're interested in reading about all the minutia, all the various laws about you know, diagnosing these skin diseases and all that, it's back in the book of Leviticus, and all these rules and requirements about what you were to do if you had these spots on your skin, go see the priest, get diagnosed, separate from the community... Lots of things happened with people who were having these skin issues. But leprosy, apparently, in the Bible, was not used of a specific skin disease, but rather it was like a, any kind of a skin disease that manifested the ways that Leviticus described. It, it had these different characteristics. But it was, it, was a, it was almost a death sentence, depending on what kind of leprosy what kind of skin disease it was. If you were diagnosed with something like this, one of the, one of the negative things, one of the, I guess, the most negative things is... Your isolation from the community. You know, when it says in our text that these ten lepers, uh, you probably noticed this as Merv was reading this a few minutes ago, verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Now, the, the lepers wouldn't have gone in the village, all right? They, they wouldn't be in the village. They couldn't go in the village. And it says there at the end of verse 12, who stood at a distance. Well, Leviticus talks about this. And also, there were these laws embedded in the Jewish community that had to do with how far they had to stay away from non-lepers so the lepers had to isolate themselves and they were a lot of traditions had developed if if the wind was blowing if you were upwind of the people who were non-lepers and you had to stand a greater distance from the non-lepers and if you were downwind from them then you could get a little bit closer you know depending on depending on the, which way the wind was blowing but but here's the thing about this can you imagine what this would have been like? I mean, you think about the physical consequences, depending on what kind of leprosy it was. It would, if it's a certain kind of leprosy, your, your nerve endings die, and over time, your know, fingers would, your digits would, would wither away. Horrible, horrible physical consequences. But, but, but right along with that would have been your isolation from the community. When you were diagnosed by the priest of something that fell under this category of leprosy, then you were ostracized from the community from then on unless you were cured in some way, and that typically didn't happen. So you hugged your wife or your husband or your kids for the last time, and you went and lived with a community of lepers. You went out wherever they were. They had their own little areas. They lived, they lived together. You couldn't hug your spouse, your kids, your family again. This was it. You, you couldn't socialize in normal interactions with people in the community. So you stand at a distance. You stand at a distance always from anybody who doesn't have leprosy. And so these guys are honoring the, the community's wishes. They are standing at a distance. And they weren't even supposed to do what they were doing, actually. But they're, they're, they're honoring part of it. But when it, when it says he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, even that kind of engagement was, was outside of what was expected of them, to engage Jesus like they were. They weren't supposed to do that. But verse 13 says they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Maybe a hint there, they lifted up their voices. One of the consequences of some kinds of leprosy would be an effect on the voice box that made it hard for you to speak clearly and loudly. And so it would have been difficult for them to, to be heard by Jesus, so they had to almost shout this gravelly kind of voice through this gravelly kind of voice in order to make themselves heard. I don't know if that's implied there, but it's it's possible at least. They lifted up their voice. Maybe it's it's all, all it's saying is they're far away from him, and they've got to yell, they've got to shout in order for him to hear. They lifted up their voices, and they said, Master, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Their existence was pitiable. I want to circle back to this in a minute, but in in the Bible, leprosy is sometimes used as a as a type of sin uh, and and um you've got you've got hints of this in the in the scripture talking about you know leprosy being being a kind of sin in that it it separates you from the community, it leads to death these these parallels and leading to this this kind, of, um, this kind of connection to sin. Sin separates you from the community. Sin leads to death. And so I think there's a hint of this at the end of this story, which we'll get to in a minute, but I want you to see here, when they cry out for mercy, they're crying out from a condition of misery and pity. If you had been there and you had seen these people living the way they were living, you would have had compassion on them. You would have been sorry for them because their lives were awful, have mercy on us. They are begging for Jesus, of whom they've heard, apparently. They call him master, which indicates some sort of familiarity with him. And, of course, then they call him by Jesus. Have mercy on us. They have heard something about him. Maybe they know that he is someone who potentially can help them. Now, as you, as you walk through the text, he He saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest." Now, Leviticus 14, again, there's the text. What would happen if you were living in a a community of lepers and you started feeling like your leprosy was getting better, going away, the outward manifestation of it was looking better? You could go to the priest. You had to go to the priest. You couldn't go back to your family. You couldn't go back to the community. You went to the priest first because the priest was the one charged by God with with the responsibility for diagnosing and for... Pronouncing a blessing of you know being cured. So you go to the priest first. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But it's interesting that he he doesn't, did you notice this as you were reading this? He doesn't heal them and then send them to the priest. He simply says to this group of lepers, he says, Okay, I want you to go and I want you to go 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 and show yourself to the priest. Now, in their mind, I don't know what they're thinking, because they wouldn't show themselves to the priest until they're cured. But go and show yourself to the priest, Jesus says, verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. So they're approaching Jesus. They turn to go to the priest. And when they make that step of faith, when they do what Jesus has said, when they turn toward the priest to go, that's the moment that they're cleansed. And this is the decisive moment for our text, right? As they went, I don't know how far they got. I don't know if they're out of Jesus' sight, if they're almost to the priest. I don't know how far they had to walk. It doesn't say. But as they went, so so they turned toward the priest, going wherever they needed to go, and and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Now all ten of them saw that they were healed. You think about that. Ten guys. Their lives had ended. They had lived miserable existence since then. Living only with this group of people similarly afflicted and, you know, ostracized from the community. They turned to go to the priest, and, and however this disease had manifested, I'm, I'm guessing with, with, with skin, lesions, and maybe other kinds of conditions, but, but they recognized that, they, you know, they looked at their hands perhaps, and they saw that it had gone away. That moment had to have been filled, I don't think many of us can really even understand this, but that moment had to have been filled with a kind of joy and elation and uh, just a realization that, that was unparalleled, that they had never even envisioned, never even dreamed of this happening. And so they turned toward the priest as they were on their way, they looked, maybe they felt it, maybe, maybe they sensed it, they looked at themselves and recognized, he actually cured us. That is the moment Jesus focuses in on in the story. Of the ten, nine of them kept going. Presumably, they kept going to the priest. And one of them turned back. Now, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Some scholars point to a a difference there with the loud voice of verse 15 going back to verse 13 when they lifted up their voices. Maybe one of the consequences of that leprosy was they were unable to talk loudly or clearly. But in verse 15, after he had been cured for the first time in a long time, he had been able to speak with a loud voice. And that voice that he had been given by God at this moment, he used to praise God in contrast to the lack of ability of verse 13. Maybe there's a connection there. But regardless, he praises God with a loud voice. And he comes back to Jesus and he falls on his face. This is what it means to worship, by the way. In fact, the very etymology of the word worship is to fall on your face at the feet of another. I mean, this is... He's he's physically demonstrating the posture of worship. This is where that word comes from. It means to fall down on your face and someone's feet and to praise him. So when you read verse 16, that's worship. That's what it is. That's what we're doing. We don't do it typically. Maybe we should, but we don't demonstrate it physically now. We typically don't fall, maybe you have before. Fall on your face. As it were, at the feet of Jesus, praising him, but this, this verse sixteen is it's just a, 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 a visible description it 's a description of what it would have been what it looked like to worship God. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. This was a big deal because you didn't do this to people. I mean this, this verse, when Luke writes this down, he knows what he 's saying, and this was in a time when they were of course coming to convictions about who Jesus was and proving that he was who he claimed to be, and that is God, incarnate God, the, you know, the Son of God. And so when he says he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, that would have been entirely inappropriate. It would have even been blasphemous for this guy to have done this had Jesus not been who he was. If he did this to someone who was a man or a woman, it would have been blasphemous, separate and apart from that person's connection to God. So he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And that's what we're doing in this hour here. We're falling on our, feet, uh, on our faces at the feet of Jesus and we are giving him thanks. That's what this hour is for. Not only this hour, but certainly in an intentional way we do it at this place at this time. We fall on our faces at the feet of Jesus and we give him thanks. Beautiful description of worship right there. Okay. Key verse here. All right, you still with me? Verse 16. Key verse in our story. Is this one? Now he ESV says this, now he was a Samaritan. Now he was a Samaritan. Presumably the other nine were not Samaritans. Okay. Just a just a side note. Many of <laughs> you maybe are familiar with the distinction here, what a Samaritan was, but just a side note, because I'm sure that we don't all know what a Samaritan is. We don't, we don't all know what all this. But, you know, this is a Samaritan. Well, what in the world does that mean? Here's, here's a, just a short, short description of what a Samaritan was. In Jesus' world, Jesus was Jewish. The people in Judah were mostly Jewish. This was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this nation of Israel had been preserved. God had watched over them for, you know... 2,000 years since Abraham and this family, they were of this particular lineage. Now, out of, that, out of that Jewish lineage, some things had happened. The Assyrians, particularly this foreign nation, had taken over part of Israel, part of the, the northern section. And they had intermarried and intermingled and, and had children. And that had developed, well, they were referred to often as half-breeds. Because it had developed this, they would call it a mongrel race of half Jews, half something else. And they were called Samaritans, that's who they were. And so they were considered to be polluted racially, and also their religion had changed. And so they kept part of the law, but not all of it. So you had racial pollution, in in their view. I'm just talking about the way that this was viewed. Racial impurity and religious impurity, Samaritans. So lots of conflict between Jews and Samaritans, lots of conflict both ways. They didn't like each other. But a Samaritan, you know, when you, you may have some conflict racially, you may have some conflict religiously, but when you're all afflicted with the same skin disease, a lot of those conflicts go away, you know? They didn't have anybody else to hang out with. They hung out with each other regardless of race and regardless of religion. Because they were all lepers, they were all in the same boat. So they were together, right? And the only one, I mean, this is just presumably from the way this text is worded. Nine of them were not Samaritans, they were strictly Jewish. One of them was the Samaritan. Nine of them who were Jewish went on. And the one who was a Samaritan turned back. Now Luke is very careful to point that out, right? That's why this is a key verse here. Now he was the Samaritan, this is... Just when, when Luke stops to say that like that, we ought to pay attention to what it means. And then Jesus down below says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, just a word about this for, for a minute. You know the story of the Good Samaritan? You know that story. The guy was you know, beaten up, left for dead, Priest comes by, walks by on the other side. Levite comes by, walks by on the other side. Samaritan comes by, drops whatever he had planned for the day. He gives up on that plan, and he goes, and he ministers to this guy who's beaten up. Story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story pretty well. You know you know which gospel tells us the story of the Good Samaritan? It's, it's Luke. Luke. Luke is careful about this. Matthew doesn't tell us the story of the Good Samaritan. Mark doesn't tell us the story of the Good Samaritan. John doesn't tell us the story of the Good Samaritan. It's only found in one gospel account. It's found in Luke 10. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's it's, 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 uh, included by Luke. Luke does this a lot. The story of, well, Luke 7. You can almost go to any part of Luke's gospel and you'll see this kind of emphasis on the outsider, the one on the fringe. Luke 7, he tells the story about the woman uh, who was a sinner who came to the house and she starts crying, lets down her hair, washes the feet of Jesus, it is a, a social disaster for everybody there because she wasn't supposed to be there. But Jesus welcomed her because Jesus welcomed the outsider. He welcomed the person who, because of race or religion or gender or lifestyle or whatever it was, was considered on the fringe. Jesus hung out with those people. Luke's the one who tells us in Luke 15 the story of the woman who had ten coins. she lost one. She searched the house until she found the lost coin About the shepherd who had a hundred sheep One of them went astray And he went and found the lost sheep The man who had two sons One of them went astray The story of the prodigal son coming home Luke is the one who tells us those three stories like that And he tells us particularly In the in first couple of verses of Luke 15 Which is two chapters before our text Luke tells us that, that That Jesus told these stories Because everybody was getting mad at him For eating and drinking with sinful people So then we have this story. Nine went on, one turned back, and Luke says he was a Samaritan. Again, I'm going to circle back to this in a minute. But it's interesting that so often the religious insiders don't have the kind of spirituality that the one who is an outsider. People who come to faith, I've noticed this, people who come to faith in Christ later in life often have more diligence and more passion than those of us who were raised in Christ. There's something about it when somebody comes to faith late in life, later in life, that they seem to have a greater appreciation for what they've got than those of us who might tend to take it for granted because we've had it our whole lives, so to speak. You know what I mean? This guy was an outsider, and yet he is the one who came back to Jesus. Whereas the religious people, they kept going to do what they were going to do. All right, we'll come back to that thought in just a minute. Where are the nine? Well, we've talked about that. The nine, I don't know where they are. Text doesn't focus on them, honestly. I can think of a million good reasons, or I can think of at least several good reasons why you might want to go on. You know, I've put myself in in those guys' shoes. Man, I hadn't seen my wife and kids in months, years, maybe. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go to the priest. I'm going to go home and see my family, right? I mean, I mean, you can you can certainly justify what they did. They've, they've got they've got folks they want to see. they got things they want to do. They've been ostracized forever. Where are the nine? I don't know. The nine are probably doing what most of us would have been doing. and They're just taking care of whatever they need to take care of so that they can get back to their lives. Where are the nine? They're seeing the priest. They're seeing their families. I don't know. But Jesus doesn't focus on that so much or he doesn't tell us why. But he says at the end of this, after he makes his statement, where are the other guys? No one's turned back except this foreigner Verse 19, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. All right. This text is before us this morning. Let's think about you and me. Think about us. Your faith has made you well. He received a double blessing. And that's kind of, that's kind of neat. All of them were healed of their leprosy. As far as I know, I mean, we don't have any reason to think that Jesus uncured the others. right? Cured them and then, oh, I'm taking it back because you didn't say thanks. Uh-uh. I, I, I have no doubt, but that all 10 of them lived the rest of their lives as non lepers. But the one who turned back to Jesus came back to him and said thanks and fell at his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And literally, that that is your faith has saved you. Okay? It's the same word. Like we talk about, uh, you know, believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. That's the same word here. Same word in the original. Just means. It can mean being saved from leprosy, but I think Jesus means more than that here. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has... I don't think he's talking exclusively about the leprosy thing. I think he's talking about something deeper than that, especially the way that Luke often uses things like this in his telling of the Jesus narrative. He, he means something more than that. Your faith, not only in in turning back but your faith in coming and worshiping you know that there's something better something bigger than leprosy going on here your faith has saved you I think he's giving this guy something more than a clean bill of health he's giving him something that has to do with something more important than that deeper than that and that is his soul your faith has saved you you've come to the only place who can give you more than clean skin I can give you salvation. Now, what does this mean to us? There are, I think there are some things that make this hard for you and me. I'm, I'm talking about gratitude, talking about thankfulness. Why don't we turn back? I'm guessing most of us are in the same boat. We, you've probably been convicted by this text today. I hope you have. I hope all of us have because we're guilty of this. We're guilty of being in the nine, aren't we? At time, maybe, maybe we have moments, maybe we have times where we, we're like the leper who came back. We're like the Samaritan leper. We come back to Jesus, we thank him. We have these, these moments where we're really focused and we're really grateful. And, and whatever the outward cause of that is, we have those times. Maybe it's a time of worship. Maybe it's a time of just at home and you get good news and you immediately know where you need to go to thank for that, to whom you need to go. But sometimes we're not there. Sometimes we're the nine. Sometimes we're going about, we've been blessed by God, blessed by God, blessed by God. But Lord, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. That's, that's one of the things here. That's one of the things. And, and I'm guessing that with these nine guys, that's one of the things. They had, they had been thinking about what they would do if they were ever cured of their leprosy. They had been thinking about that since the day they were diagnosed. Right? That, Since the day that they became lepers, they've been thinking about and making a list of all the things they're going to do when they get cured. And probably it was that to-do list that kept them from turning back, at least partially. And your to-do list may be keeping you, our to-do list may be keeping us from thinking like we should. You've probably got a to-do list a mile long. You don't ever get to the bottom of it because things get added more quickly than you're checking them off. Do you thank God? Do we as a church, do we individually take time out of our days to thank God, truly thank Him? We are distracted people. We are busy people. And busyness and distraction are the enemies of contemplation and gratitude. And the moments that we do have that aren't filled with checking items off the to-do list, we have Instagram and Facebook and a million things calling to us from our phones and our tablets we've got all of these things pulling at us and they are the enemies of gratitude because gratitude takes contemplation and it takes intent. It takes our purposefully pausing to thank. You don't thank God with a hurried prayer before your meal. Not truly. You don't thank God when you don't take time to do it. It is intentional and purposeful. So one enemy of One enemy of being the Samaritan here, one obstacle is this distraction business and just our lives that we live. Here's a second one. A second one is complacency, complacency that sometimes comes along with familiarity, and being in the system, in the, uh, in the, I don't know, the, the religious group. Remember, I was talking to you about earlier. Nine of these presumably were part of the in crowd. They were part of the accepted, Israelite, Jewish, ethnic, religious circle. They were in that circle. The only outsider is the only one who turned back. And and I've I've noticed, as I mentioned to you earlier, that sometimes the most grateful people are those who aren't the ones who've lived the, you know for the most part, live pretty good, decent, moral lives. They're the people who made a mess of it, and then at some point in their lives, God got a hold of them, and they came to Him in faith, and they are grateful because they recognize where they've come from. Sometimes those of us who've been in the church, you know, raised in a church pew, practically, we're not grateful because we're kind of used to it. We're the insiders. So if that describes you, if you're an insider, be careful here because being an insider... And, and, and living that life can, is the enemy. It's, it's the enemy. Not, not in every respect, but it can be the enemy of gratitude if you don't realize where you've come from. So complacency, distraction. What about negativity? What about negativity? Have you noticed, as I have, maybe it's not gotten any worse. I don't know. Maybe it's social media. Maybe the, just the ubiquity of... of uh, Sharing that we have now with the internet and with you know a million different social media kind of places, but have you noticed that we are a complaining people a complaining people that we've got all these different you know we're prosperous we're we're blessed you know lifespan is longer than it's ever been I mean materially we we are the standard of living is is unparalleled, you know? And we got, we got all that stuff, and yet we complain. Get on Facebook, get on Instagram, you know, get on Twitter. And, and maybe it's never been worse than it is. Maybe it's just everywhere like it is now, but we are complaining people. And complaining is the very opposite of thanking. And I want to challenge you. If you tend in that area, if you tend toward that kind of, Kind of direction to to complain and be a woe is me a self pitying kind of this is awful you know all this sort of thing if you if you trend in that direction if any of us do let me invite you to come back to Jesus Christ and worship Him and it'll take the focus off of your distraction off of your busyness off of your Whatever, whatever it is causing the complaining, it'll take your attention off of that. Put it on him and he'll direct it elsewhere and he will draw us closer to the spirit of gratitude. That's what happens when you get closer to Jesus. You, start, you stop thinking about all the negativity and you start thinking about him. And he makes us better people. I think that's enemies, the enemies of, of gratitude. So we're going to go this week. I hope you get to be with some family and friends this week for Thanksgiving and I hope you get to take some time before you watch the Cowboys lose Thursday afternoon. I hope you get to take some, I hope you get to take some time and, and, and let it be, I mean, I'm sure you do this, but we'll probably get to eat, we'll probably get to eat a lot. And, uh, but just take a moment as a family and as a, as a group and, and, and fall at the feet of Jesus He's the one who gives and gives and gives. He's the one who blesses, and that doesn't mean everything is perfect because we got folks, and you may you may be one of them who who are dealing with and have dealt with things this year that, man, have brought you to your knees. And I'm not. I don't want to be naive or pretend like it's it's always easy. Just you know, just need to try a little bit harder. And you, I, it's life is hard, but I hope that God will help us to to come back to Him. And uh, he'll give us this perspective and we'll get to take a break from whatever all the distractions are this week and and put the phone away and turn the TV off and just have a moment of, of reflection and prayer and gratitude for who God is and what he's done in our lives. Where are the nine? I hope the nine this week will find their way to the feet of Jesus along with the one who worshiped him. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to come to the one who will heal you. See, leprosy Jesus took care of here, but Jesus takes care of something better than, something greater than leprosy. He takes care of the sin problem. He takes care of our hearts that have turned in rebellion to the one who created us, and he will draw us back to him. And he wants to do that for you this morning. If you're ready to confess him as your Lord and as your Savior, to put him on in baptism, we hope that you will today. Maybe you need to come back and ask for prayers today. We hope you will today. Let's stand. Let's sing this song, won't you?